Hey everyone, before we get started with this week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast, I just want to take a moment to thank you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing. It means a lot. If you haven't yet, please, it does not matter where you're listening to this podcast, go ahead, leave a five-star rating, a nice review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. It helps a lot. Thank you. Hello. Welcome in. Yeesh. To the Berman Hour Podcast, I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest this week is Mr. Brian Forst. You might know him from the band Protagonist. I'm in that band too. Or you might know him just because he gets around. (laughs) I I didn't mean it like that, but that's kind of, well, I should cut. No, I'm going to leave it in. I'm not going to cut it. I'm going to leave it in because it was funny. But no, he travels a lot. He's a great guitar tech. And he's been traveling the world for the last 12 years, working for bands like Less Than Jake, Newfound Glory, Real Big Fish, just to name a few. And, you know, Brian is is really one of my favorite people because we don't get to spend a whole lot of time together, but when we do, it's always quality and it's always fun. And when we get to see each other, even if it's just for a few minutes here and there throughout the year while we're both touring, it's kind of like, you know, Jewish honey for the soul. He calibrates my heart and makes me feel good. And because we haven't been able to tour and travel this year, having this conversation with him on this podcast was quite a delight. And also, you know, making Brian Forrest just a little bit nervous is really kind of fun for me. It's my way of, you know, kind of teasing him a little bit. So I could tell at times during this interview, because he was on the spot and it wasn't just a regular phone conversation, he was he was a little nervous. I don't know if he would admit it, but I think he was a little nervous. And for anybody that knows our band protagonist knows that it's just a great drummer, and then on each side of the drummer is two Jews, and on the other side it's two Italians, and they're all just fighting each other. <laughs> so it goes. Anyway, before we get going with the interview with Brian Forst, we are going to check in with Jim. He's not only the lyricist and vocalist for the great band from L.A., Total Massacre, but he is the new political correspondent for the Berman Hour podcast. So, Jim, what's going on in the world of politics, my man? Well, according to my sources, we're fucked. Back to you, Jeff. Oy vey, Jim. Oy vey. Are you like me, where you have someone in your life that is impossible to shop for, especially at Christmas and or Hanukkah time. You gotta get them a gift, but you don't know what to get them. Let me help you out. I've got you covered. Get them coffee from New Wave. Get them Flow State coffee from New Wave. If they're interested in all the fancy smanchy stuff that I'm about to say in this ad read, then great. But if they're not and they just like coffee and they want something different or you want to get them something that's new and almost so new it's exclusive, Get them this. Go to newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N, and save 10% off your first order. Now, let me tell you why, if they're the nerdy coffee type, because this coffee is laced. (laughs) It's blended with L-theanine, which is an amino acid. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But when you drink it, it naturally reduces the stress and anxiety that you have going on, and it also sets your brain into an optimum performance zone. A flow state is what they call it. So when you drink that, you don't get the regular jitters and shakes that you might get from caffeine. It's a nice buzz. It keeps you focused. It's great for creative types. It's great for not creative types. It's really good coffee, 
and I drink this shit every day, so I stand by it. Let me help you save by going to newwave.co slash Berman and get this for the impossible person to gift for this holiday season. You know what I mean? Let's get it. All right, so please enjoy my interview with Mr. Brian Forst. I really enjoyed talking with him. I miss you, Brian. I love you. Enjoy, everyone. Let's get it. <laughs> do you get do you get jitters? Funny, some... Do you have that thing that that small Jews get where they get really nervous and they get really jittery from too much caffeine? No, I have the thing where I get a really bad headache and hate the world if I don't get enough caffeine. Well, I think Which everybody is a struggle because I was. I guess. I mean, I was told from the doctor not to have coffee anymore, like for the last two years, because it's very bad for my inside, my acid reflux, and all. But I can't give it up. Right. Did you ever do any of this twenty three and Me genetic tests or anything like that? No, but I would love to. Those are that's some of the kind of stuff where people will bring up at a time where I can't really do anything. About that. Like right now, I'm not going to go to 23andMe and order it, but because I'm in the middle of talking to you. But I would love to think about that at a time when I'm not doing anything. Sure. Well, for for me, I I don't know. It was like I, I did it, and it, the results essentially came back. I'm paraphrasing, but they said you're definitely a Jew, but you're not Jewish enough to have these ailments that Jews have. But it, it, <laughs> what kind of ailments do they have? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought there was just like you know weird stuff that like you know I, I've I somehow know. had I've had terribly bad I've been on medication for heartburn since I was sixteen really which is which is actually terrible like it's really really bad now I'm on a pill for like the fifth year that I was supposed to only take for a couple of years so I'm supposed to take this year to change my lifestyle and diet so I don't need it anymore so when I stop taking the pill. I don't have heartburn. What is what in the in your diet is what gives you the most heartburn? It's I'm supposed it's some, I'm supposed to do something called the GERD diet, G U R D. So, but like it's funny what I'm not supposed to do is exactly what I do. Like in, in in the touring life, it says don't eat late at night, which usually my one meal a day is at like two in the morning after the show. Sure. So it's like don't have coffee. I'm like that's all I do all day. It says don't eat big meals have lots of small meals and it's like how the who has the fuck time for that so it's because coffee's great here we are here we are <laughs> coffee's great. just two chews talking here about coffee <clears throat> i actually have this as my question how how jewish are you because you know that i'm not very jewish but i'll play it up if i if the crowd t- is right to be fair <laughs> to, to to be honest i don't even identify like i i couldn't tell you yeah, really. When I was young, like probably until I was 12 or 13, when I was 13, I was all, I knew everything. Now I'll talk to my mom and she'll mention a holiday is coming up and I won't even know which one that is or what. I just, yeah, it's, it's kind of non-existent in my life. So you don't know that today is Rosh Hashanah? No. <laughs> I, I, not, not only that, I couldn't tell you which holiday Rosh Hashanah is. This is which is some somewhat embarrassing. I don't know. I repressed a lot of shit. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I mean, did you grow up going to to synagogue and going to to learn that stuff? Uh, yeah, but like, oddly enough, I don't know how this is going to sound until it comes out of my mouth. But like, I didn't make much of an impression on me. Apparently, if I don't 
remember most of it. That's okay. I mean, I you guess. just weren't interested in know. it, right? That makes sense to me. Like, like, is today really a holiday? Yeah. Or are you just saying that to fuck with me? No, no, it's really a holiday. I, I think it's Shana Tova. I think it's the Jewish New Year. Is there like a setting to make all that appear on my <laughs> iCal? I'm sure there's an app. If you're out there and you're listening and you you have a Jewish holiday app, send it to no, but if it's not if, 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 it's, <laughs> if it's not paired on my iCal or Google Calendar, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess you know, it's more important to catch yeah, no, a flight I'm, on time than it is to remember that there's a Jewish holiday on February. Yeah, September eighteenth. Why did I say February? Anyway, so I would I would say to someone Merry Christmas before saying thinking to say Happy Hanukkah. If that answers anything. So you grew up in South Florida, correct? You didn't live anywhere else before sure. then. Nope. Nope. Born and I guess raised there. Yeah. In Fort Lauderdale or Boca Raton? I was in Boca Raton. I was born in Plantation, Florida. And then I was raised in right outside Boca, like west of it. Isn't west it's of Boca in a swamp? Yeah, but right before the swamp. It's called unincorporated. Palm Beach, unincorporated West Palm Beach is what it's really called, but our mailing address was Boca Raton. Okay. I was going to say that would look pretty unique on a, uh, on a letter. If you Yeah, like years, like probably, I don't know, 20 years before I was born, that it, nothing was that far west. It just keeps sprawling. Mm-hmm. And then they wonder sure when why snakes end up in their backyards, you know, or gators. <laughs> we had that a lot. You with snakes? Snakes always appearing. They would just appear in the pool sometimes. Oh, the show God. Were they big or were they just small ones? In my mind, because I was small, they were, they were massive, but in retrospect, they're probably like the little ones you see when you're going on a walk. Gators would appear in the backyard sometimes, too. That was fucking... That, those were scary. See, for some reason, that does not scare me at all. But a gardener snake in my pool, I... Uh... So... But like, imagine if you were like seven. I don't know, and the skate, and you're the size of the gator. That shit, it was scary. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And like, if I had, if I could walk away from it or towards it, I was definitely walking away from it. <laughs> if given the option, <laughs> given the option. <laughs> yeah, um, and if I have this right, you're you're the middle child, right? You, uh, a middle child. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. I'm the middle child. Do you exhibit? Middle child syndrome? I don't think you do. I am. No, I, I don't know. I I like to think that I am who I am because I was a middle child in lots of ways. Like, I am very indifferent and easy to please because of that. Like, I learned how to use, eat the drumettes because the siblings wanted, like, the drumsticks. I learned, I would get the ugly color toothbrush because I knew the older one or the younger one would be more picky. So I'm just, I, I don't know. I feel, I feel very middle child syndromed, but I could be wrong. Well, that explains so much about you. Because, yeah, you're just like, you're, you're one of the most easygoing people that I know. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like it's easier to credit, like, being born a middle kid than to take the credit. So, I'm like, all right, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember, really, when you fell in love with music? Yeah, honestly, Nirvana. <laughs> I was fourth grade, turning fifth. I was, like, well... Before that, I tried playing guitar in second grade because I loved it, but I was just not developed enough. So I, I loved it then until I found out what practicing was, mm-hmm. and that was that wasn't fun because I just wanted to play guitar. When you're in second grade, you don't know enough. And I remember I would go to lessons and I was wasn't progressing. <laughs> and then I remember 
I remember the guitar teacher. I took like five. I was guitar teacher telling me I had to tape record all my practicing to prove that I was practicing. Oh. And that just took all the fun out of it. I mean, I might have got a little better because I was practicing to practice because you didn't want to sound like a jackass when the instructor pressed play on the cassette tape. But that lasted very short period of time and then in the fourth fifth grade era i was like i want to be kurt cobain which kind of terrified my mom but it got me into playing guitar again yeah i have a similar kind <laughs> of trajectory as you but i mean when you say nirvana it was before in- guitar i wanted to be a drummer for a little while then and my mom said it was way too loud so get over it and then i was like all right well then guitar it is you're kidding me yeah i was i yep. i was gonna be a drummer too i wanted to be a drummer yeah and I, I took one Too drum well. lesson, and then the teacher died. And wow. Did you, did you think, you had, did you have anything to do with no, that? No, no. He was an old man. But he was down, because you remember, my parents' old house was on a corner. So down one of the streets was a drum teacher, and he passed away after one lesson. And so I went down the the perpendicular street to the guitar teacher. But it was the same thing. Like, if, you know, when you're in second grade and you're looking up to Slash or, you know, whoever, Mick Mars... Mm-hmm. And like boys and CC Deville and shit, and and they're like, all right, well here's here's scales. <laughs> what is this in F sharp? Yeah, and I'm like, I don't thing. know, man. Just give me some hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> but when you say you were into Nirvana, and that was really kind of what made you fall in love with music, was that live? Was that as it was happening, or had you discovered it kind of after the fact? Like, was it the Smells Like Teen Spirit? It was on the way out, point? pretty much after the fact. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what was what year was I that was 91 i say that like i have authority i was nine years old so you were seven <laughs> <laughs> well actually since yeah, i'm no. a rock historian with a podcast it was 91 and it no was- you know what it is? i i became really into it after kurt died i know that because my mom was terrified of me idolizing a dead guy it was a whole thing i remember i really wanted a poster and she wouldn't let me get it, a picture of him, because had the years he was alive and died. And I remember we had such a fight over it. We had a big compromise where I was able to have the poster of him where he was a child in it, because that wasn't like the version of him that died. Right. And I was allowed to hang that up on my wall. <laughs> oh, that's pretty deep. It was that's a, pretty deep for your mom yeah, to, was, to have a rationale. That's like the that. whole thing. Yeah, who's the thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, re- when you were that young, did you differentiate between the the idea of Nirvana in the mainstream as a quote-unquote al- alternative band that was obviously different than the hair metal stuff that came before it? Like, were you able to differentiate between Nirvana and then punk rock when you discovered punk rock, or did it all kind of blend together for you? It To me, it all blended together because, I mean... I. No effects came to me around the same time Nirvana okay. did, but I could credit my brother for that because he was, when you have an older brother that likes punk, you kind of get a head start into that. So to me, it was just all good music with loud guitars. So if you were to tell me to differentiate their like geographical origins or their influences, I would have been like, listen, I just like the guitar. You like a lot of instruments, though. I mean... Y- I want to speak a little bit to your development as a guitar player, but for those that don't know, Brian, like you're one of the people that can pick up any instrument and and become good at it. You know, you're not a virtuoso I per se. It's not like you're be. a servant, no. but like if Newfound Glory needs you to play a piano part from you know some obscure record that 
no one really wants to hear anyway. And they're like, Brian, <laughs> will you learn this? You'll learn it and you can nail it. Like, at, yeah, at what point did I, that... I have a weird... I could tell you when. It was... Honestly, I'll credit protagonist to me realizing that because that was the first time I had to like learn songs right away sometimes because when I first was meeting there were so many chord changes and I was able to like see the progressions in my mind and like shapes yeah so I was able to just like kind of recreate that over and over again so I do that on piano too I just like see where my finger goes and I'm like all right I make a pattern in my mind and then I just do it yeah that makes sense I mean what Without the pattern, it, I would not know it at all. And if I had to teach someone how to play it, I would just be like, uh, "Get it, get it in my head. That's how you play it." Like I don't really know how to explain it, but yeah, I, I mean, see things in shapes. How, when did you join protagonists? Kind of in their inception. Uh, at some point in late in two thousand. Had they played shows yet? A few. Okay. I mean, uh, to be honest, the reason I joined is because I went to one of their shows at a skate park and their bass player didn't show up. He was stuck in traffic in another city. So since they knew I knew how to play and was a fast learner, John taught me the songs in the parking lot right before he went on and played it. Jesus and I played it on bass. You're and then me. since it went well, they're like, yep, yeah, I learned. We, I only learned a few songs, but like enough to get through a set in the parking lot on someone else's bass. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I was 15, terrified, went for it. It was such a good time that they're like, all right, how about you be the second guitar player? And just like that. Yep. <laughs> it's a good thing I went to that show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, was, were, were you like at that point just kind of playing along to songs at home or had you actively started working on your own material when you were about to join the band? I mean, I had my own songs that I wrote and stuff, which is mostly just Nirvana songs backwards. But like, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know any of the protagonist songs or anything before I played that show. It was just like, all right, like, let's wing it. Yeah. Do you ever stop and think about how many bands are just playing other band songs backwards? <laughs> I feel like all of them. <laughs> to be I, I never thought about that really before, but like, it's, it's there's only so many riffs. Yeah, in a weak moment, Dave Sausage told me that um, the the guitar player in Blacklisted told him that a bunch of their songs are just Madball songs backwards. <laughs> so now I think we're all in trouble with DMS. For those keeping track at home, we'll ch we'll check that one off. <laughs> no, but that's that's awesome. And and so protagonist, at what point did it really become? the band that I met in 2001, was it shortly before that or, that was, or were you guys really kind of? Well, cause when I joined Peter, wasn't the singer yet. Oh, so we went, yeah, it was a whole different, not different. It was, it was a whole thing before you kind of got into it. And then when Peter joined is when he really kind of made it my, I guess I don't want to say ever speak for everyone, but kind of became like my, my identity pretty much. At that point, yeah. But, but I, I, my memory of dates isn't as great to tell you what year you became part of us. Oh, that I mean, we don't need, that. That doesn't make a difference. But I, I guess no, no. I'm, I'm just saying, just in, in, in like hanging out with us and coming to show. Oh, so sure. I well, I can tell you, it was, was 2001. Back. I met you in 2001. Um, I have a first impression of you, and I'm curious if you have a first impression of me. <laughs> I kind of do. 
<laughs> All right, you go first. Well, when you started, so, you know, you guys were playing, and, and I looked at you, and you looked like this weird group of people because John had the big spiky <laughs> hair. Jeffy was, like, the cutest thing but had the ugliest mohawk you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> With like the manic panic hair yeah. guy in it, because so. his hair when it grows out, it's 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 very fine or very thick but very short. So it was like yeah. the weirdest looking. It might have been the bihawk when you first met him. We had like the two oh, little strips yeah, on the top. Maybe of his that's head. what it was. And then Marcus, who looked like he couldn't he couldn't fill out a, a tank top to save his life, but for some reason that's what he was wearing. <laughs> and then he had a jazz bass, which just looked like. It looked like he was holding a piece of a tree. I, I, that's all I remember. And then you, you just looked like such a young, a, I don't want to say a young kid, but you looked so young. You looked no, significantly you younger um, than your, your bandmates. And then Peter says, the song is called Society. It goes out to the memory of Brian Dennehy, which on one hand, I, was, I thought to myself, props. And on the other hand, I thought, that's the cheesiest shit I've ever heard. I don't think this band's <laughs> going to be very good. And then you guys broke into society and you all kind of came out of your shells collectively. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, opening the gate and watching a bunch of puppies just run wild for 30 minutes. <laughs> and I, I really, I fell in love with you guys. That juxtaposed with seeing you after the show down the street. I think we were too shy to say anything to each other, but I remember you ordered a meatball parmesan <laughs> sub. Oh, really? And and the way you know, I believe you, but that seems so unlike me. But I believe you. I'm I'm pretty sure it was it was meatball parm. I, I believe you. I'm not arguing that. Or I maybe just... it was chicken parm. Maybe it was chicken parm. But yeah, I just remember thinking like, oh, like this kid is he's not wild anymore. He's he's off stage. He's he's settled. <laughs> and he's 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 like me. He's a short little man. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> so that that those were my first impressions of of you. I just if you asked me my first memory of you, it probably wasn't the show. It was I believe afterwards we slept. Was it Greg Boyle's parents' house? Maybe, perhaps. I, I remember just having a sleepover one night, and you were there hanging out with us. And that was like my first memory hanging out with you. The show, I can't. Maybe I'm getting certain dates confused. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, because I lived in Washington at the time. So anytime the Boyles had activity and there was, it just didn't make sense for me to go back to Washington for an afternoon or even for a day. So I would just kind of be, well, I'm on I'm on Warren's floor in West Philadelphia. All right, I'm <laughs> in Greg's parents' house in <laughs> Exton or wherever the fuck we were. <laughs> or I'm in the creep house and I don't want to be here, but I don't want to drive six hours, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was it was definitely a kinship. I mean when when I was in the Boils and for those listening, when I was in the Boils who were based out of Philly and you guys this protagonist based out of South Florida. But it's there's something to be said when you have a kinship with a band because you like their music that extends beyond that into real genuine friendship. And it wasn't as if I was yeah. just friends with one person in the band. You know, I became Close no, friends with like everybody in the band. With you. Yeah, for sure. Even Marcus. Yeah, no, we were all. <laughs> yeah, we were all huge fans of you as a person when we met you. There were, I'm sure there were tour van talks about you. Do you have much of a memory of of those that first year where the Boyles and protagonists were doing a significant amount of touring together? Yeah, we just liked your band and we liked hanging out with you, so we wanted to. We weren't. 
we just tried to do as much as we can in all the time we had. There was never a holiday vacation or a summer or winter break or a three-day weekend where we weren't trying to drive somewhere far and play shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anything we could do with you guys, hell yeah, we would. How many times did we just drive straight up to Philly for like the first show? Yeah, that's so strange. That's so strange that you guys did that. But I guess, I don't know. Because like everything we wanted to do was farther up on the Northeast. So it was just a long drive to get it. Coming from South Florida, we didn't want to have to play 10 shows in the Carolinas and the Georgias and the Virginias just to get to where we wanted to go. So we just pulled the all-night drives. Yeah, you guys always seem to have a really good positioning in South Florida where you were known as a good draw and you were obviously nice people. So promoters really were excited to have you on the shows that they were doing. So you had a lot of unique opportunities to open for bigger touring acts, right? Yeah, we worked hard. Yeah, we promoted the hell out of the shows. We were the we would be spend all night in Kinko's making flyers, then we'd go to every show and promote it, and then we would show up and behave ourselves. So we were told we have 30 minutes to play, we'd play 29 minutes, and we'd get off this. It was just, we kind of just tried. I'd say so. At, at what point did you end up moving to Gainesville then? Oh, that was forever ago. That was... Because you've was been already... there a long time. Probably 2006 or 2007. Okay. And did you move there just to move there because it was Gainesville? Or did you move there to go to school? No, nothing to do with real Gainesville. I, so I was, after high school, I was at FAU working on a degree there. And then I got this like desire or urge to kind of go to law school uh-huh. and conquer the world, if you will. So I was still working on my associate's degree at FAU, and I was like, I should just go to what seemed, I guess, the best, I mean, people argue with this, but like the the best school in Florida, and that was UF. So I was like, I'm going to fucking go there. So it was a challenge to go there, but I eventually moved to Gainesville for UF. Like, they, they denied me a few times, and I fought it each time, and Eventually, I got accepted by just walking into the dean of poli sci's office and be like, why can't I go to the school? And the end of that conversation ended with me getting admitted. No shit. Yeah, because it it's crazy. They kind of changed some of the rules because of me, too. So I was at FAU working on a four-year undergrad, mm-hmm. but I decided I wanted to transfer to UF. Now, the transfer requirements were you needed like a 3.0 GPA, which I had... But like then the fine prints was to transfer from another university to there, you needed a 3.5. Their, their logic being that if you already were in a university, you don't have to go to another one. Okay. And I just kind of had issues with that, and I expressed them, and it worked. Because I remember I retook some classes at FAU to like change, the, to like recalculate the GPA to be over 3.5, and I... Thought I got there, then I applied again. I already moved to Gainesville, so I'm like, all right, it's definitely going to happen. And then the way they recalculated, it's all stuff that I was important to me at the time, but I just can't remember it well now. But when they recalculated the GPA, since certain classes didn't get offered at UF, it was like 3.4999, something where they like denied me. So that's when I took my transcript and just went to the... I, at that point, I had nothing left to lose. So I just went and talked to the, the dean there, and he looked at it and I was like, tell me why I can't go here. And then I explained to him how I was like, 
So you mean to tell me if I dropped out of FAU and transferred to community college in my last semester there before transferring to UF, I would have been in? I was like, how backwards is that? So I got to sign up for orientation then. Damn, good for you, Brian. Holy it was shit. cool, and I. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It's crazy to think about how like intense of a student I was then. How far removed so, are you from that person, though? Oh, so far. Honestly, I, I just. I don't. I don't know. I like. I I went to campus a few years ago, just out of boredom on a bike ride, and like, it didn't even remember being there. Like all these buildings that I had so many classes in, it like felt like I was seeing them for the first time. Really? Yeah, but I was also like, when I started going to school, I was really into it. I joined some like clubs and I was in the library every night. But towards the end of it, when I kind of changed gears away from wanting to go to law school and start touring more, I just wasn't present on campus at all. Right. I mean, is law school something that's still on the horizon for you at some point in your back pocket or, or have you kind of let that dream no, go? No, I, I mean, I could tell you the day I let the dream go. See, I was having, I was very driven, if you will, and I really wanted to go to law school, but near the, like, I don't know, I, wanna, I don't want to say near the end, but in the middle of that journey at UF is when some of these touring opportunities started presenting themselves. And at the same time, I was in this politics of education course at UF because I was getting a degree in political science and that was just an eye-opening thing to begin with because in my I don't want to say closed-minded world but I had a circle of very like-minded friends Mm -hmm. so when I went to UF and started studying political science I kind of I don't want to say naive but I assumed everyone would kind of share my beliefs and thoughts and me, kind of very left-leaning, showed up and had all these moral ideals of what is right and wrong and found out that most of my classmates weren't on the same page. And that was kind of disheartening to me. And then simultaneously, I took that politics of education course. And the professor one day had everyone stand up in a circle and say your name and what you want to do after like, you get your degree. And pretty much everyone said law school. And I was like, there's no fucking way that these are going to be my colleagues and future classmates for like the rest of my life. So that kind of was really blew my mind and said, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I remember going to want to that professor's office hours after and like telling them it was surprisingly pleased to hear that because I didn't know at the time that poli sci professors knew that everyone took that degree in like to kind of get them to law school. However, all the poli sci professors kind of hated that. And that was definitely not their path or what they liked. So they were, <laughs> I feel like that, that professor was very, feel like they did their job right by indirectly talking me out of law school. Did he try to push you into another arena? No, not at all. It was just like, all right, it's great news. I mean, I wasn't sitting there to like get life coaching i was just more like hey just so you know this was my idea to do next and now you kind of talked me out of it so i appreciate it fair enough fair enough but then, yeah well, when you said you had touring opportunities was that with protagonists or had you begun doing tech work at that point that was a lot of things going on at once it wasn't t- tech work was on the horizon but um I was already working for we were protagonist was doing a lot of stuff on all the the breaks and all the summers and but um 
remember we do like part time semesters, so I had time to tour more. Yeah. But I was working for paper and plastic at the time, and that's when Vinny started talking to me about touring with Less Than Jake. Right. And to me, that sounded so much more exciting. So I was able to do my last three semesters on tour. Really? Yeah, it was interesting. Like, I'm making a long story real short, but I kind of went to some of my professors and was like, I have this opportunity to tour. Because at this point, Lesson J kind of restructured and restaffed, and Vinny asked me if I wanted to stage manage for them. I remember going to some professors saying, like, this is this incredible opportunity that I don't want to turn up. The only reason I can't do it is because I have to sit in class for the degree that I don't necessarily intend on using because I want to do this touring thing. So I was able to work with some of them to find ways to finish without going to class. Like I did an independent study with one professor. I did an internship with another professor, which was really just me spinning the job as yeah, an internship. Sure. Even though I was getting paid to do it, I was still having to write a lot of papers and do a lot of research. And then I did a thesis which was I think the politics of file sharing in music. Oh my goodness. And then I did some online classes, online classes. So damn. So I did a lot of work to be able to finish to get the degree while also going on tour. Yeah. So you it sounds like you had all these professors at University of Florida in the palm of your cool. hand. Just Well, it's just like I it was a I, I don't know what they were used to students coming to them with, but when I was like, hey, I, this first tour that I got asked to do is like six weeks in Europe, and I really want to do it. Like, is there anything we could figure out? And they all just kind of worked with me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I was a bit older than most of the classmates, so may, I don't know. Maybe they just thought it was cool. Yeah, something that you said earlier that, that makes sense to me now that I've thought about it a little bit more is that you were riding your bike a few years ago through campus, and it was as if your time there barely happened because you didn't remember it, despite the fact that your physical body had spent so much time in all of those buildings. But you're such a well-traveled person. <laughs> Have you ever had moments where you're just you're you you're standing somewhere and you are so far from Gainesville or so far from unincorporated Palm Beach County where you just think to yourself, "Holy shit, how the fuck did I end up <laughs> here?" That happens so much. <laughs> That happens all the time, honestly. But where? I'm, cu- like, I'm curious. Like, I remember, like, I remember one time swimming in the Black Sea, or like, or just like, it's really just weird moments, usually when you're outside and you're like looking at something cool on the coast of Australia or somewhere in Japan, you're like, holy shit. You can't really say some of this stuff out loud because it seems like bragging or ridiculous, but I am, it blows my mind some of the places I end up. I, in those moments, I, I think of, like, the shittiest people I've ever known. And I'm just like, oh, I hope they're having a terrible day while I'm <laughs> shopping in Kyoto. <laughs> but, like, but, like, those moments kind of get me through everything in the sense that, like, none of us, I don't, I, I guess I have a career, but I still kind of feel like I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I see other people that have so much, I guess it seems like they're shit together so much more than me at this point in my life, so. I get those moments where I get to like breathe in some other country's air and sights and be like, yeah, this is what matters more. So it kind of calms me down. Yeah, absolutely. So I like, so those moments I kind of look for them just to make me feel better about 
my journey, if you will. Yeah, people may know you from touring with Newfound okay. Glory, Less Than Jake for a number of years. You've been with Young the Giant and Dashboard Confessional a lot in the last few years. Are you able to pinpoint the moment where this idea of being a guitar tech went from being a gig, so to speak, to being a mm-hmm. career? You know, it's tough because, like, uh, just the short answer, no. Long answer, it still feels weird to call it a career because it just kind of happened and it's so much fun. Like, I, I, I guess it is a career, but, like, I can't pinpoint the moment where I was like, this is what I'm going to do because I kind of just started doing it and I never stopped. Mm-hmm. Like, I was very much an amateur. I didn't know what the hell I was doing and then just over time you get a little better and a little better and then people ask you to work for them and it just kind of I just haven't stopped. I think I think so outsiders I, are always intrigued. Intrigue's not the right word. I find it intriguing as an insider but on the on a different kind of platform as as a performer but I think outsiders are mostly unaware at how interconnected the world of techs and the world of roadies really is. I mean, you're yeah. you're always just one degree removed from, you know, the biggest band in the world, even if you're working for a smaller band. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it seems more interconnected than artists are. Yeah, we all, we all know each other. <laughs> it's true. And there's so many, I want to say, we always say there's, like, so many less texts than there are artists, so we're the, we're the elite ones. That's true. I imagine that there's some secret forum somewhere where you guys... And gals just go on there and just rip on the artists that you work for, right? There's some secret Reddit account somewhere, right? No, that's called iMessage. Okay. <laughs> Those are group texts. No, we don't do that. No. We all know better. It's a, you're talking about a, a world where everyone screenshots everything. No one would ever do that. Yeah, so. yeah. Has seeing behind... Or if the... they exist, I haven't been invited. <laughs> what are they saying about us, man? What are they saying about us? <laughs> But no, the the idea that when you're kind of in that world, it doesn't take very long for you to realize that everybody knows everybody in the industry. And I used to think as punk rock and hardcore as being so insular and, and kind of self-ostracized from other parts of the music. And, and it's not, you know, um, you know, it, it's, it's really all connected. Have you found that seeing behind the curtain and working for bands that you grew up loving and meeting other bands that you love like has that had a mostly positive or a mostly negative effect kind of on you as just a music fan you know you're essentially seeing how the sausages get made so it kills some of the magic right i don't know it's it's more i wouldn't say it kills the magic i think it's more to like take something they always wonder what it was like and now you're inside of it seeing it so if anything it's this is like the only instance where it's like fun seeing how the sausage is made. Cause you always wonder like the inner workings or how a festival comes to be or how they go from like, it's talking about making an album to all of a sudden it's, here it is. And here's their album. Song. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, th- that's the coolest part to me seeing the inner workings of how all that shit comes together or to like talk about a tour. I remember that for instance, like lesson Jake, for instance, I remember one of the first, I mean, I can't tell you the first times I've seen them. But I remember one time seeing them on a tour with Bad Religion where they had their stage was covered with these really big TVs all over the place. And I remember seeing that and like it kind of blowing my mind at the time. And then to go back to hearing them talk about what the shit show was to lug those TVs around 
all over the country and set them up every day and they were always breaking and it was just it was really fun to hear behind the scenes of stuff that i saw Mm -hmm. and then to kind of be part of their brainstorming process and to do other cool shit so i don't know i always loved that part it it was surreal to take the people you were fans of and then you're like all right here's your fucking guitar take it um full disclosure i you know because we're friends and and i know you and and we know personal things about each other's lives um you posted something about your father who passed away a number of years ago that I uh, completely uh, plagiarized in a speech that I gave to my father last year at his 75th birthday because I thought it was a beautiful sentiment and it was uh, something to the extent of, you know, uh, I see you every time I look in the mirror and everybody else sees you when I do something nice for them. Um so I, I wanted to, because I know your family, but I, I've never... <laughs> Instant goosebumps just hearing you say uh, that. Yeah. Um, well, it was, it was beautiful. Um, and if, you know, seeing photos of your father around your apartment, I mean, you spitting image, like, yeah. shout out to Big A and, and your sister, but they don't, they don't really look like your, your old man the way that you do. Yeah, no, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Do you, can you kind of pinpoint a, a valuable lesson that you learned from your dad? I mean, he just was the sweetest man to like everybody he was just always positive and enthusiastic and made the corniest jokes and was just always he was just peppy and great yeah the the worst jokes ever and i loved him for it he was i everyone only had the best things to say about him and it was a great sentiment it was great to grow up hearing that he was a podiatrist i remember every weekend he would just make house calls, go to people's houses to work on their feet. And he was just great. Very, very positive, positive man. So I tried to be like him as much as I can. Yeah, I don't, I didn't know he was a podiatrist. Mm-hmm. Well, that's such a shame. He could have been helpful when you, when you broke your foot. Yeah, well, he was helpful in the sense that I, he, like I wasn't allowed to wear shitty shoes as a kid. Okay. And now, even to this day, whenever I buy sneakers, I'm like, all right, let's see what that art support is like. And then if I did have shoes that, I, if there were sneakers when I was young that I really wanted, because I was like a little skater, then he would put insults and he would build little arches so I could wear them and they'd still be good for my feet. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. But he was good. He like also, he trained me to work hard for things. I remember one summer I really wanted rollerblades. And he's like, all right, how about you work for me this summer and you'll get them. And I remember he drove me to work with him every morning and my mom would pick me up at lunchtime just so I had like a four hour day and he was just fine, busy work for me to do. It was just like organizing files. I, I mean, I was probably 10, 11, so nothing really important, but mm-hmm. uh, that, working for him for a little while, then it's like, all right, here's your rollerblades. So I was, he kind of took, taught me lots of shit. So he didn't spoil me, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, well, thank you for sharing. And what's what's going on now? <laughs> Quarantine now Brian. Oh, you do a great job Brian. of branding yourself with anything that you do. Like Brian Forrest, <laughs> you were Uber Brian Bri- for a while. Brisolation over here. Brisolation, Hawaiian Brian. Like you're very good at self-branding. Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it happens itself. <laughs> It writes itself. What can I say, people? It, it writes itself. Man, life is boring. In, in the personal life, I guess you could say. Yes. Yeah. It's not boring outside of there, but nothing could have prepared me for this. And I feel like only other 
touring people could relate to how fucking weird it is just being home all the time. I had a conversation with a neighbor who's in the restaurant business and Mm -hmm. they're open and they're operating and they're trying to figure out things and they have a lot of hurdles and a lot of risk. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was the first time where I was like, ah, it's the people gathering business, you know, that we're, we're really trying to figure out what the fuck to do. The being home part is weird. Like, for instance, meal prep that doesn't exist in my life because I'm touring. I'm home for two weeks at a time, so it's just let me buy some shit, eat it, and whatever I don't eat, I throw away. Like, yeah. Remember there was a time in April where, like, my shampoo bottle was empty, and I was like, I buy shampoo, like, every five years. Like, I just <laughs> don't use that stuff. Right. Or, like, to me, I wash my sheets whenever I get home from tour, but, like, there are people that wash their sheets without a tour in between them. And I just, it, little things that I should have learned, habits that I should have by this point in my life, I'm just kind of. Well, that just speaks to the volume that. at which you were gone. I mean, I've gone a lot between all the bands I juggle with. It just, I don't know, the last couple years, seven, eight months out of the year, I've been gone. So to be home was always like, let me unpack the suitcase, then repack the suitcase mm-hmm. and just decompress for a minute. Now to be here for extended periods of time like my bed has never gotten this much use at all mm-hmm. it, my, my house i've just never been in this home long any yeah, semblance I mean, of what's rough, next man. not a clue man there's so much that needs to happen before touring could happen yeah that i don't even have any like, i could like fake optimism and be like yeah man next summer it's gonna be the world it's gonna take the world by storm with all this touring but like I mean, the more I think about it, I don't even see how that's going to happen. I, I'm I'm with you, man, and I I think that's, you know, to bring this full circle, maybe that's the uh, the shared Judaism that we, <laughs> the kindred <laughs> Judaism that we have. I have trouble being, I have trouble not being a realist, and I have trouble feigning optimism, and yeah. even like you know being well intentioned, best intentioned, if you will. Mm-hmm. I can't bring myself to be optimistic about I can bring myself to be optimistic about certain things next year mm-hmm. and once yeah. we get through what will probably be a hellish winter but in terms of what we do for a living and the touring and stuff I'm just I don't know I see bands that I know and love and bands that you've worked for you know posting tour dates for 2021 and I'm just thinking man come on yeah I feel like none of that's real Ugh. Maybe. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so and I'm much. not trying to bury anybody there, you know. But Yeah, no, for sure. The, the, the politics of touring starting again is going to be unreal because every sector of the touring world lost so much money and all of them, rightfully so, want to recover that as quick as they possibly can. And that's just something that everyone can't do at once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you doing in the meantime? Because I, I, we should, we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out for who your current employer is. I am, I am working at Wonderland Tattoos in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah, it's, it's just weird having a day job at home. Because before, all my time at home would be free time, if you will, mm-hmm. preparing for the next tour. So now it'd be like four days a week, I am busy from like 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. and I can't do anything and then I have to cram in all my errands on days off it's just, I guess the stuff that everyone else does all the time mm-hmm. which I'm just still learning how to do but 
but it's it's such a change of pace just answering phones and replying to emails and doing customer service stuff it's just i'm having a good time and i'm definitely grateful for the employment and so many of my touring friends don't have that and i feel for all them I fucking love that dude. Mr. Brian Force, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, get some coffee for the person that you got to shop for. That's a pain in the ass to shop for. Go to newwave.co slash Berman. Save 10% and get them some delicious coffee. And also, you know, considering what's going on in the world, especially in the United States, especially in the U.S. political sphere, we're going to check in with the official and exclusive Berman Hour podcast political correspondent Jim from the band Total Massacre. Jim, what's going on right now in the world of politics? I'm sure this will come as a surprise to your listeners, Jeff, but we are absolutely fucked. Back to you. Oy they, Jim. All right. That's it, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the pod. I'll see you next week. Let's get.